0: Uh, I'm going to share. There's a lot um, written in Scripture about um, persecution and suffering, and uh, the last beatitude has to do with that in Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are the persecuted. Well, that's one blessing I could do without. I haven't really prayed for that blessing in my life recently. Lord, persecute me or have, you know. Glenn MacDonald wrote uh, that archaeologists undug this uh, palace um, in the Middle East. It was Caligula's um, palace, actually Roman emperor Caligula, and the property became eventually a boarding school for messenger boys for the Roman nobles, these messenger boys. So it appeared that a school kid would have scrawled on the wall a picture that you see there, and then someone else wrote it, uh, diagrammed it to the right. And so it appears as though that there's a human head on a man who is being crucified, Instead of being a head though, it's the picture of a donkey or an ass. There's a smaller figure who stands to the left arm extended toward the cross, and underneath it is scrawled in Greek letters this saying Alexamenos worships his God. No one knows the backstory uh, for this picture, but we can guess. There was a boy named Alex Manos who was in this boarding school and at least one other boy or kid would have scrawled on the wall mocking his faith in Jesus. Well, it was was well known back in those days in Rome that the worship of Jesus would have been dismissed and even absurd. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, for example, in AD 50, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and its foolishness to the Gentiles. In other words, they would have said, Alex Manus, you worship a crucified man? That's, you know, crucifixion is the most humiliating form of punishment known to any criminal, and yet you claim that he died to defeat evil? That's laughable. Have fun with your holy donkey, God. Well, it's hard for Christians not to feel that in our culture, um, it's becoming more and more antagonistic toward those who are serious about our faith and our values. Even Christian kids in schools today, you know, they have to endure rejection or neglect or being ostracized or ridiculed because of their choices or because of their convictions. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Notice it doesn't say stop there because people, we could be persecuted for a number of things, for a number of bad choices that we make, right? Or, or for seeking revenge, we could build the anger and the persecution and the revenge. And, but no, um, we're persecuted because of righteousness. And the word righteousness in this context is right relationship with God through Christ, and then with others. In verse eleven, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus said, "Because of me," that's the righteousness he's talking about. It's an inner righteousness given to us as a gift from Christ. He comes to reside within us. He makes us right righteous in standing with God. And so the Pharisees, though, the religious elite in those days, they would have mastered a different form of righteousness. It would have been an external righteousness, a self-righteousness. They believed that their righteousness came from uh, doing good works, but also from avoiding those people who were evil and sinful and immoral and unclean and dishonest. In fact, the word Pharisee literally means separated one, and they prided themselves. It was an us versus them mentality, those bad people, we good people. That's we righteous, you unrighteous. Well, Jesus was the antithesis to this mindset. He wasn't a separated one. In fact, he went to the people. He associated with the gluttons and the drunkards and the sinners and the tax collectors And that's why he was falsely accused as condoning their sins and being one himself. He was misunderstood. Well, the Salvation Army has gained a reputation of going into the world of sinners as well, but for the sake of reaching the lost and the broken and the homeless and the orphans. They regularly go into messy places, even to this day, not to attack people, but to attract them to Jesus. Jesus. From the very beginning the ministry of Salvation Army, the founders, William and Catherine Booth, they had this mindset that they would go into dangerous places in order to uh, rescue people. Salvation Army, we're here to rescue you. Um, well, they went to dangerous place, but they thought in the inner streets, they better have some bodyguards just in case. And so they invited their three grown sons to come with them as bodyguards, but then they thought, wait, this is going to be totally misunderstood if these ministers of the gospel have bodyguards out there. And so they, they hatched an idea, and the idea was our sons are, are musical, so bring your instruments and stand to the side somewhere and play in the street and do your thing and then keep your eye, you know, like Secret Service, you know. To their surprise, it was a hit because people loved the music that they were playing and it attracted people to come and ultimately hear the gospel. And so to this day, the Salvation Army band is playing in the streets. A tradition was born. Biblical righteousness, though, is defined as seeking to point others to relationship with God and with others, with people. So, how are we to respond when people oppose us, when they persecute us because of our righteous choices or because we're doing things like that? Well, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Here it is Rejoice and be glad. Pastor Haddon Robinson wrote this. He said, A couple of times in my life I've been reviled and lied about. At first I was somewhat overwhelmed to discover what I thought was good others considered evil. To find what I thought was mercy others found objectionable. To learn what I knew was right others viewed as grounds for job dismissal. I went to God and I found my complaint, Lord, they're on my back, Lord, they're persecuting me. And I expected the Lord would say to me, my, how I pity you. I want you to know how terrible I feel about all of this for you. But instead God said, congratulations. Rejoice, blessed are you. Romans 12, how are we to respond? Bless those who persecute you. Bless, and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position, like the Salvation Army, like Jesus. Be willing to go to them. Well, why should, why should I rejoice, though? Oh, because it's so fun to suffer, right? No, heaven's no. No. But Jesus gives us the reason. Rejoice because yours is the kingdom of heaven. The first and last beatitude found in the Sermon on the Mount offer this same promise. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Sort of like bookends or parentheses around the beatitudes. What does it mean to inherit the kingdom of heaven? It means three things. It's a present reality. It's a future reality. And it's a reality of experiencing God's presence. First, A present reality of of the purpose, it gives us purpose when we're persecuted. When we're persecuted, when we suffer, if we don't have any purpose, then it's going to end in despair. But because we have purpose in Christ, then it can lead to good things. Anytime a follower of Jesus demonstrates um, the gospel in their word, in their deed, in their attitude, in their responses then they are ushering in the kingdom of heaven to that person. Any little act of kindness, the kingdom of heaven is in your midst. Jesus works through us as the body of Christ every day, sometimes multiple times a day. The kingdom of God is yours. Salvation Army leader Danielle Strickland, who's Uh, currently a leader in the Salvation Army, I heard her speak about um, the era in Japan in the 1920s when there were multiple brothels where women were exploited and sexual servitude uh, was uh, to pay off family debts. And so at this particular time in the 1920s in Japan, there were over 20,000 young women who were serving in this sexual servitude. The Salvation Army movement was still in its small state in Japan. In fact, in this one major city, there were only 50 members. But these 50 members felt called by God to do something. Rather than separate, they wanted to go and rescue. And so they planned to invade these brothels and rescue these young women. Well, one English Salvation Army member who happened to be there said, you're not going to be able to shut them down. You're greatly outnumbered. To which one of the 50 said, no, there's 50 of us and a mighty God. We're in the majority. Uh, Three things that they did. First, they printed one million copies of magazines entitled, Why Women Should Not Be For Sale. The second thing they did, they called the media and gave them the exact place and day and time that they would be going into the brothel to rescue And the third thing, they prayed and prayed and prayed for the Holy Spirit's power to come upon them, for courage, uh, for open doors, for discernment. And so when the Saturday came, the first Saturday, they went into a brothel, and all 50 of them gathered together in this open room, and they formed a circle. And then they made this announcement. Any girl who wants to leave this place and this profession you can come into this inner circle here and we'll protect you, we'll rescue you, we'll lead you to a new life. So that day, seven brave women entered the circle. Well, when that happened, the owners of these girls in the, in the brothels, they, uh, called, they said, you cannot do that. They belong to us. We own them. And then they called the thugs out, you know, the bodyguards, and they began to beat those protecting these women, the Salvation Army members. Meanwhile, the media, click, 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 seeing this brawl happening. The next day, the newspaper reported uh, these Salvation Army members getting beaten, but the seven girls were ultimately taken and rescued and put into a safe house. Well, the next Saturday came, they did the same thing. They called the media, they prayed, they went into another brothel, they circled it, they invited the girls out, And click, 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 same thing happened. They were beaten in the newspaper again. So this went on week after week for three months. And then ultimately, 57 girls were rescued and they were placed in safe houses. But in the Japanese culture, if you knew it, they were publicly humiliated because although this was a known secret, they kept it a secret. Uh, and many people frequented, but they didn't want to talk about it, this little-known secret of brothels. And, and so they were so humiliated that they pressured the Japanese parliament to call an emergency session. And they met, and the parliament released a new law. Any girl who wants to exit, they can do so on their own accord. The very next day, 13,000 girls left. That's righteousness. That's biblical righteousness. Going to the people who are suffering, they're broken. Not separating from, but going to them. The light goes into the darkness, the salt goes into the things of decay in order to make a change. Well, how did righteousness play out in Scripture? I'll give you one example. The Apostle Paul and Silas and Luke and, and the entourage, they were, they were intending to go to a place of prayer in Acts 16, but they ran upon this, this group of, of people with, with a fortune teller girl. I'll just pick it up in verse 17. This, little, this young girl was a fortune teller in verse 17. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God. We're telling you the way to be saved they are telling you and she kept this up for many days finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit in the name of Jesus Christ I command you to come out of her and at that moment the spirit left now you always might be thinking when you read this man that girl's really annoying me Paul thinks you know but no how many of you would be annoyed if I wouldn't be annoyed if someone said that pastor up there he's a prophet of God he's speaking the truth listen to him thank you He wasn't annoyed with the young girl. He was annoyed with the situation where she was exploited for profit, where she was controlled, where she was um, oppressed by these men who were controlling her for their own selfish profit. Well, because it all blew up when she got delivered. Verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Persecution. They brought them before the magistrates, said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Then the crowd joined in, attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods, and after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he, fastened these, when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, inner cell, the inner dungeon, and fastened their feet in stocks. Wow, that's persecution because God delivered a young girl through the power of the Spirit through the apostle Paul. Then you know the rest of the story, right? In the Book of Acts. There Paul and Silas they sing hymns and praises, and then there's an earthquake that night, and the doors fly open miraculously and the, the chains fall off, the shackles fall off their feet, and they're set free. And they're leaving and all the doors and as the prisoners were, were leaving, the, the Philippian jailer, well, he was going to commit suicide because he said, I'm a goner. These people are escaping. And Paul and Silas could have been, look at us now. You didn't believe in the power of God. <laughs> look at us. You can't touch us. But they didn't do that. They said to the jailer, hey, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm going to kill myself. What do you think I'm doing? Don't do that. Don't do that. Hey, you're okay. We're not We're not going anywhere. Jailer, what what can I do to be saved? He saw the power of God. And so that night, the jailer and all of his household were saved. Paul and Silas remained in prison until the next day, and then finally were told that they were released. God did release them. But righteousness appears in this story. How? Because Paul was willing to give up his well-being... His plans, his his, uh, safety for a nameless girl and then a nameless jailer, that's righteousness. He went to the one person. He laid down his life to go to the one person to set them free. This is consistent throughout scripture. Think about it. Jesus went to the one person. Demoniac rejected by all the people in the community. Set him free in the graveyard. A woman caught in adultery. A Samaritan woman who had been divorced several times. He went to a dishonest tax collector and said, hey, I want to eat at your house. He went to a discarded leper, an overlooked cripple who had been at the pool for years. A desperately bleeding woman who had been Unclean for years. He accepted her. Jesus seemed to always leave the 99 to go after the one. That's the kind of righteousness God is asking us to participate in. It's kind of righteousness that will get us persecuted. Matthew 23 The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do because they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. You see, the pharisaical mindset is one that proclaims a truth. You know, listen to what they say. They're saying the truth, but they're not practicing what they preach. They proclaim the right things. They don't they don't lift a single finger, though, to help others who are in need. The broken, the, the nameless girl, the, the unknown jailer, the peon jailer. They wouldn't lift a finger because they thought righteousness was removing themselves from sinful people like that. Standing at a distance. Jesus, on the other hand, ran to the sinners. Not for the good times he could have, man. I'm going to go to the bar and be with my buddies, you know, win them to the Lord. No, he went with the intention of showing them the way out of that life, to say, leading them to a way that's better. We're persecuted, and we can rejoice because, because of the, in the present, we have a purpose. And then, secondly, in the future, we have a hope. The hope of being uh, hope, future hope. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, Jesus says. A man was having breakfast, and he was asked to say grace, and so he stood up and he said, Lord, you know I really don't like buttermilk. And Lord, you know I'm not that fond of lard. It makes me sick. And Lord, I don't really care much for raw flour. But Lord, when these things get all mixed together and baked, man, do I like warm biscuits. So Lord, may I remember that when stuff happens in my life that I don't like and my life gets all mixed up, help me just to relax and wait till you're, do, uh, till you're done mixing so that I can go and have those warm biscuits. Well, that's what we have to look forward to. Rejoice me, be glad for great is your reward in heaven. The kingdom of God begins now, but it will be fulfilled to completeness in the Near future for each one of us. And then finally, it, um, we can rejoice because of an opportunity to see God's faithfulness. In verse 12, for in the same way Jesus said, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. For that reason, you can rejoice. I'm thinking, what? Uh, we're blessed because, is it because misery loves company? I think of all those who suffered in the past. Therefore, I can rejoice. No. It's because I will have a front row seat, an opportunity to see God's faithfulness, just like these saints and prophets saw God's faithfulness in the past. Like Stephen before he was stoned, he saw the glory of God. Like Paul and Silas when they were in jail, he saw the glory of God and the miraculous release. Like Moses at the Red Sea, how the Lord parted. God says you have a front row seat, when you depend upon me, when you're going through what you're going through, when you turn to me. For example, a Napolese Christian who was in prison said, not, I was in prison and Jesus was with me, but Jesus was in prison and I was with him. A Vietnamese believer named Chen, after five years of re-education camp, Wrote, Looking back, I can say that I experienced God's love in such a special way in that concentration camp as I have not experienced at any other time in my life. Or an Iranian Christ follower named uh, Mehdi Dabaj, after his release from prison, said, God gave me the privilege to spend nine years in prison for his namesake. They turned out to be the best years of my life because I had belie- what I had believed while free is what I experienced in prison— Namely, Jesus saying, lo, I am with you always. And so as we go through hard, difficult times, opposition and persecution, or whatever it looks like, we can remember those who have gone before us. As Hebrews says, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. So let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Jesus said, "Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad." Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so, Lord, as we conclude this service today with a song, I pray, Lord, that you uh, would minister to us. We might be experiencing opposition or rejection or, or just pain in some way, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you do understand us and, lo, you are with us always. And so remind us of that truth, Lord. Remind us of all that you've promised to us, that ours is the kingdom of heaven, even now, into all eternity. Help us to see with spiritual eyes, eyes what you are doing, and that you are a faithful God. Amen.